Ladies, gentlemen, or what have you, I'm Orion Lavelle. And I'm Travis Mattingly. And you're listening to Tooth and Nail, a monstrous podcast where today, well, we'll get into that in one second because uh, we got to talk about what we actually do on this show, don't we? Because this is our first recording session with the new digs. The new digs. This is our house. Welcome to our home. We built it. We got a mortgage, but that's okay because we're moving up in the world. Yeah, we built this podcast on rock and roll. Yeah, more rock than roll. Well. Yeah, so what uh, what do we do here, my friend? Oh, you know, we do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We talk about monsters <laughs> in Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop games, video games, and maybe movies. For a second, I thought you were just going to keep it vague. <laughs> oh, you know, we, we do, do some of this, we do some yeah, of that. It's not, any, it's not important what we do, I don't think. That's for you to decide. <laughs> <laughs> uh who was that author oh my god here we go who was that author oh that uh that did um uh fucking something van allsburg what's his name he did I all have of those no fucking idea what you're talking about already never mind then starting off strong cutting that out <laughs> uh so yes so as my boy said we uh, we discuss but we discuss we talk about monsters because you know society is Built on and reflects the creatures that I think it creates in its time. Wouldn't you say, my fellow intellectual? I thought you were going to say society is built by and full of monsters. Yeah. <laughs> also true. Uh, but I, I think you know. Uh, I think I, I think it would be, I would be remiss if I didn't start off this new kind of season of us. So, like, truth be told, we did a little bit of this show in the past, and now we're. We're giving it the reboot. We're doing it like reboot. You remember that cartoon? That was good. Yeah, it was terrible. That's not... Yeah, we're going to be... So pretty much the takeaway message is we're going to be exactly like reboot. <laughs> Goddamn. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about my uh, favorite monstrology quote and one of my sort of raison d'etre for doing this show, which is something that I'm going to misquote terribly from a uh, an interview with Guillermo del Toro, the monster man of our age, uh, wherein he talked about monsters as being this sort of totemic representation of primal segments of humanity. So like, often fear, right? So like, uh, like when the when the alien shows up in Alien, it's this kind of totemic representation of horror, uh, sexual horror, typically. But, uh, you know, I, I find that, like, you read Frankenstein and the creature in there is this sort of totemic representation of, or, you know, wanting to belong, you know, society, like social proclivity, social, uh, social desire, right? Like the, the human aspect of wanting to be around other people. Sure, yes. <laughs> so, so, like, I, and we, I don't think we've actually sat down and talked about this before, and it might be worth talking about a little bit. I, one of the reasons why I'm so into and why I, I feel like other people should be into, and hopefully if you're listening to this, you're into it as well. One of the things that drive me as a monster researcher uh, is this kind of theme of finding the the kernels of humanity within the monsters that are in our media. I believe that uh, not to, um, oh, what's the word? Sully, what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. I believe that the core audience for Dungeons and Dragons has two sides, and I think we can appeal to both of those sides. Yes. There's the monster researchers who are interested in the monsters. Mm. And don't you think I forgot about you monster fuckers? (laughs) 
There's gotta be. Is there like a word for that? Is there like a furry? It's literally like... called monster fuckers. I'm friends with a few of them on Twitter. Oh, good. Well, then there you go. I've, yeah. I mean, like it's direct. We'll give you that. It's direct. You just wait till we get the episode about werewolves. Oh Things boy. Things gonna get buck wild. Oh man, I'm I'm very aroused. <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit interested. Like, why? What's the draw for monsters for you? Um, I think I've always in video games specifically. I've always been interested in uh game and end meat design yeah absolutely and monsters are the easiest way to get radical with enemy design yes yeah um, and there's probably also that little bit in the back of my head that's like that edgelord kid still <laughs> it's like big crazy monsters are awesome yeah i think I, i've got that childlike kaiju love yeah. in me. yeah and all of us have a bit of that as well like i love me a godzilla as much as the next person and then there's the separate part of me that at least uh, it's highlighted in D&D. Uh, I love the idea of multiple planes of existence with varying attributes and stuff, and the planes in D&D are perfect. And I love the uh, idea of studying monsters that come from those planes and how they are designed based on where they live. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's this kind of the creature being a separate part of the land, and so the land making the, you know, it's kind of like environmental design on your body. Yeah, it's a <laughs> creature design, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, and also, like, you know, you brought up a, a important point of the show is we do a lot of um, game design talk in here because, uh, you know, we talk a lot about video games, a lot about enemy design within video games. So if you're a big fan of, you know, if you like game design, here's a place for you. I think I mainly, outside of the show, focus more on the... Uh, artistic design of monsters because I really like how things look but in a podcast medium that's not as easy to talk about so yeah. my secondary love which is mechanical design comes in and that is the thing that I get super hyped about is designing boss fights and making encounters cool yeah yeah and so so like full disclosure um, the first you know however many episodes this is going to take we're going to discuss the monster manual we're going to go through A to Z uh, we don't have a name for it really We'll come up with one someday. We've been <laughs> we've been trying for what feels like months now. Uh, I am I am dedicated to letting you name it the Dungeon Master Survival Guide, but I think that's already a thing. <laughs> I think that that sounds like it has the cadence of a thing that already I, exists. I googled it and it isn't, but like it has to be, right? Yeah, or like the Monster Manual Survival Guide, or like encounter making survival we'll come up with something someday. yeah we'll figure it out hey yeah. if you have any ideas send them in <laughs> write us at tooth and nail podcast at gmail.com is actually i think our actual gmail or follow yep. us on twitter at <laughs> www.tring.com follow orion on twitter because don't follow me on twitter because it's a wild ride yeah but like you know <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, or follow me on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, you you're like monsters. <laughs> yeah, you like monsters. <laughs> I'm some like fuck monsters. up shit out there. <laughs> uh, we so the idea is we're going to go monster monster throughout the monster manual. Uh, discuss their narrative design. So like the story behind them, their lore. We'll discuss their artistic design because you know every single monster has a little picture on it, and we like to part of the fun and. You know, th this again attached is that Guillermo del Toro side of monster design is part of the fun of monster design and part of the, I think, thematic core of monster design is how the creature actually articulates physically. Uh, and then we will discuss the mechanical de design of the monster, which means we will talk about 
how it plays and how it fits into an encounter. And typically this is the part where we become pretentious and create <laughs> encounters of our own or like, you know, bitch about whatever whatever we, we yell think at is wizards wrong. of the coast. Yeah, we yell at wizards of the coast for saying or saying that their monsters are wrong and Yeah. Yeah. You know. We also yell at each other for like <laughs> thirty five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that is pretty much, in a nutshell, what we do here. Uh, yeah. I hope you. I hope it. I hope it tickles your pickle. If not, <laughs> I hope it moistens your oyster. Oh God. If not that, I hope it unfurls your curls. That one, I'm really not gonna be able to get out of my head. Now I'm thinking about that. I just made it up. You're welcome. Is it kind of like it like curls in and like a and then it unfurls like a tentacle? Is yeah. That what yeah. Yeah. It's like a flap. It's like a vestigial flap. Oh my. Uh, that's very cinched up because of stress, and then you, you know, you gotta relax your your curls. Huh. Yeah. So let's talk about monsters. How about? <laughs> <laughs> Here's an idea. Yeah. We begin, as many often do, at the beginning, at the letter A, with the very first creature, the Arakakra. I was going to say apple. Yes, we begin at apple, then we go to <laughs> balloon, Uh-oh. and then maybe cat if we're feeling it, Ooh. and on and on. So the Arakakra is a sort of uh, this kind of regal, bald eagle person. Uh, but so, so more generally, it's a bird person. It's typically within D&D expressed as an eagle man. Uh, these sorts of eagle creatures, they are typically, they fulfill the kind of gross, noble, savage trope within Dungeons and Dragons. It's not good. Yeah, previous editions had it being orcs. Yes. Uh, and the like, I believe that old Eric Cochran's, at least pictures I've found, are all in kind of a, in Eastern, or like a European armor. Yeah. Uh, but in modern renditions, it seems they've taken over the tribal savage trope. Yeah, they're druids, and druids all kind of have that sort of feel to them. Uh, it's one of the reasons why, I don't know, dru- druid lore doesn't typically work for me. They are, they have arms and legs. So you you think Birdman, uh, you might, you perhaps going through your brain might have the idea of like an armed wing. No, they have arms and legs and then also wings. And the arms, they terminate in three fingers and a thumb and the legs and in three talon toes. And these birdmen, they are guards of the realm of Akka in the elemental plane of air. These, they spend their days for the most part uh, fighting back the invaders of the plane of earth, which the D&D, the monster manual describes as a typically a gargoyle horde or like it, it invokes this idea of a horde of gargoyles, which sounds cool to me. I'm, I'm down for a gargoyle horde. Yeah, I'd love to get into gargoyles when we do, because I'd never considered them being from the elemental plane of Earth. Gargoyle to me has like a... A gothic kind of like a yeah, gothic Yeah, a strictly gothic magical creation kind of vibe to me. But yeah, yeah. I'm interested to see what they are like in D&D, because I haven't delved too much into gargoyles. Yeah, we'll get to that. My, I suspect right now that I'm going to prefer the construct sort of gargoyle as opposed to the yeah. creature kind of gargoyle. But we'll see what happens. I like gargoyles a cartoon. <laughs> it's probably just like that. Yeah, it's probably just like it. So, Arakocrans are good aligned in nature. They are good races. They are creatures that seek out 
uh, temples of elemental evil to fly, fight off the evil forces found there. Eric Cochran's that can be found in the material plane. They watch over elemental evil from high peaks and portals to the wind plane found typically on like high mountains and that sort of thing, places that are attuned with the spirit of air. They are described as being wild and nomadic, yet will guard a region for ages if necessary. And uh, so this is a, that is an actual sentence from the monster manual. And that feels kind of like weird, finicky writing to me, you know, yeah. to present like a, they are they are wild and nomadic, but you know also they'll guard they'll guard too. They attack, and but the, also they defend. The thing that <laughs> the thing that gets me about it is because when I had originally read it and said like, it sounds to me like it's implying they live forever. Yeah, like, like they these Aarakocrans have very long lives and they tend to over the centuries be nomadic and sporadic, but will occasionally spend a hundred or so years at a time guarding a place. But Eric Cochran's have a lifespan of maybe 30 years. Yeah. So I think... how do they have time to do both of those things? <laughs> they, they get to, you know, they do monster fuckers, you know. <laughs> they got their harem of monster fuckers. Of course. Uh, and they keep, they keep on. Well, that's why they the stay mags. in one place. That's why they stay in one place for so long. Yeah. It's the, it's all the better to form their monstrous pleasure temples. <laughs> Gee, that's the elemental evil, isn't it? Yeah. That's what, that's what the thing is. They're clearing out the temples to, <laughs> for their own use. It's free real estate. As neutral good creatures, they use what is necessary for their own success, placing no value on borders or currencies unless it can help them. Uh, what they do is kind of rad. You know, whatever's left from their their crusades is passed forward, which I thought was kind of cute. I like the idea of a culture that doesn't actually use currency in any way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, it kind of attaches to the noble savage thing where, like, you know... Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, Aarakocrans, they have... They, they fight against the elemental evil. They also, they spend their time, their whatever free time, when they're not monster fucking or <laughs> elemental evil fighting or guarding, they are searching, they're on the, this quest for this seven pieces... for the seven pieces of this rod of law the holy relic of theirs, which was split into seven shards after a battle against the forces of chaos. I fucking hate the phrase rod of law. It's so awkward in my mouth. <laughs> rod of law. Make, yeah, it makes me feel like Danny DeVito when I say it. <laughs> the rod of law. Rod of law. It's really gross. Don't like it. <laughs> Not a fan of that. Plus, it's it's uh, weird to me whenever lawfulness is expressed as a primordial force. That seems like... I don't know, that's just a strange thing for my head to wrap around. Yeah, I think that comes way, like, that's an early D&D edition kind of thing with the energies of positivity, negativity, lawfulness, chaotic. Yeah. Because they all had their own energy. Yeah. Like. Yeah, plus these guys are neutral, not lawful, so it's weird to me that they have a, you know, an extended, like, they're beholden to this rod of law, this this relic of theirs. Yeah, we can get into that. Uh, if you'd like, I can explain slightly about yes. that. Yes, please do. The, Because I don't know if you said, but the reason that they are kind of searching for these shards of the Rod of Law is because the Wind Dukes of mm. Akka in the Elemental Plane of Air want them to. Mm. Uh, and the Wind Dukes are expressly elemental beings. They are not Aarakocrans themselves. So Right. While the 
Eric Cochran's are neutral good. They are, I believe, mostly following orders of these lawful elemental creatures from their home plane. Right. I don't think it's a vested interest for themselves to get the rod. It's more of an order they're following. Right. Wouldn't that kind of make these guys lawful, but just by virtue of yeah, attaching to them? Yeah, you would think by virtue of, like, association it would make them lawful, but I guess... Or even just like, the, the idea of having your entire race seek out this relic for their supervisor. I guess so, yeah, but... D&D alignment makes no sense in hey, any way. There we go. And <laughs> so, that's going to be a recurring theme for the next however long we do this. Alignment is bullshit. Where's my lawful good mind flares? Yeah, let's do it. Let's make them. <laughs> so that is more or less the lore we get on these Aarakocrans. Um, do you have anything like in particular to say about their artistic design? I kind of touched on it earlier. Um, yeah, so... Uh... Official art of Eric Cochran's, I think, uh, has kind of two sides that I like to touch upon. One of them is when they are put in regular leather armors and uh, maybe less uh, blatantly native-inspired armors, Yeah, uh, I think that they look a bit more unique and cool. It's interesting to have representation for native culture, but I think it kind of loses some of its uh some of its effectiveness when you put it on an eagle yeah yeah there's there's definitely <laughs> a uh there's that yes and it you know the fact that these creatures are anthropomorphized animals already lends itself to this like yeah you know animal spirit kind of yeah the offensive know. animal spirit thing yeah uh but when they aren't when they are just expressly um their own kind of uh, we're just bird people doing our best in a medieval society. I think that they ha- have the possibility of looking really cool. And I like Aarakocrans that aren't eagles. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There isn't really any uh, official art of non-eagle Aarakocrans. But uh, we have one in our own game who is an owl. And she is fantastic. Yeah, we got ourselves a little owl girl. The mm. idea of an owl person is adorable. Yeah, I love me owl um, people. I think that... It is a good decision in terms of race design to give them the, uh, what do you call those kinds of legs? The legs that... Uh, recurved. Yeah, recurved legs instead of just regular humanoid legs. Because yeah. I've seen a few drawings where they just had regular human legs, and I was like, that is wrong. Well, that's this the... feels... <laughs> it's the xenomorph thing, not to go back to Alien, but like that's the xenomorph thing of in... In all of the movies, they all have regular person legs because, you know, they're all just guys in suits. When yeah. they And then when Alien Isolation came out, the video game, because they had a digitized alien, they could make it look however they want. They made it, the the legs recurve because that's a, just a spookier thing to happen. Yeah, it it looks, it just looks better. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, they did a good job. I think that the art is good. Um, yeah. I like the art for almost every monster in this book, and I'm sure when we get to one that I don't like, I will be very vocal about it. <laughs> yeah, I um, uh, I don't, I don't think I have really any strong opinions one way or the other because these guys are just kind of dudes for the most part. Yeah. Like one cool thing that I do like is that um, I like a, I, I think for whatever reason it's neat when a creature that has wings also has arms. I was going to say, that is the other thing, the bold choice to give them arms and wings. Yeah, I think it's cool. <laughs> I uh, I have really no, nothing more to say about it. I think it's functional, yeah. you know? I And that's we'll get to this maybe when we talk about wyverns at some point. I think mm-hmm. it's 
strange for, uh, I, I guess, like, I can see if you're going on the bird side of morphology, why it would be redundant. But for a creature of that size with a neck as long as dragons have, it feels yeah. strange to me when a lot of fantastical creatures with wings don't have arms. Yeah, and if you're making a fantasy race who's supposed to use weapons if they didn't have arms with their wings, well... Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You'd be buckled. Yeah, it'd be uh, uncomfortable and inconvenient at best. Yes. <laughs> So that is their artistic design. That's their lore design. Mechanically, these guys are pretty simple. These are an early tier kind of monster. They have a really minimal HP and AC for their CR of one fourth. So if you're the kind of person who is not very familiar in D&D, this is going to sound like a lot of number bullshit. We'll kind of do our best to talk about the meaning behind the numbers rather than just present them to you. So the we'll idea. tell you if it's high or low. Yeah. <laughs> so these guys, they have uh, pretty standard HP and AC for their CR, and CR is like the kind of catch-all. And we have some quibbles with how CR actually <laughs> shakes out. Everybody uh, does, I think. Yeah, it's a little, it's kind of just your your spitball, your like eyeballing it kind of number for how yeah. tough a monster is. It can be varied pretty high, you know, in one direction or, not, or another pretty drastically depending on how the actual encounter is designed like how the actual fight shakes out yeah um but for you know in a vacuum these guys have pretty standard stats for a pretty low power i think that these guys are here for you if you want to introduce the idea of elemental planes right off the bat in your campaign i think that's yeah. kind of yeah i think that's why they have such low power i think that's like you know if you're super into the elemental plane of air these guys are how you get your level one characters doing elemental plane of air shit which makes sense, because I'm pretty sure the Elemental Evil Adventure is for first to sixth level characters, that kind of deal. Yeah, do, do you know if they have Eric Cochran's in them? Uh, I would assume so, because the Elemental book, the Elemental Evil book comes with the Eric Cochran playable race. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so what makes these guys particularly dangerous from, uh, from the standpoint of an early level is that these guys are flying creatures. They have uh, kind of a pretty standard setup for a flying creature. They have a speed of 20, which is a slower walking speed, speed on the ground, versus a pretty uh, higher fly speed of 50. So they're flying around in the air speed is uh, pretty fast. This makes them pretty difficult for an early party to pin down as a result of that higher fly speed. I can see, I can imagine an encounter where fighting a horde of these, which, you know, because they're pretty weak monsters, you're likely to if you're going to fight Aarakocrans which we can get into later as being, you know, fairly unlikely because of their good uh, their good alignment. If you were to fight uh, a group of these guys, they are likely to be in a horde, which, you know, one of the standard D&D truths is that it is harder to fight a cloud of things than it is to fight one big thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's all about action economy. Yes, absolutely. These guys, they have a plus five bonus to their perception, which makes them solid watchmen, which, you know, fits that guarding theme. These guys are constantly looking over high peaks for signs of elemental evil or dangers to their territory. They have a melee attack, a talon kind of strike, and a, a ranged javelin attack with their javelins. However, these guys, which like, you know, 
oh shit, these guys are ranged flying attackers. That probably is going to be really difficult for a party of level one dudes that are all fighters and have no, you know, one guy maybe has a bow or one wizard with a spell. Yeah, I, I throw my greatsword at them. Yeah, you can see that being <laughs> difficult for a party, for an early party. However, these boyos, they're incentivized to rely on their melee attack because they have a trait. So every monster has traits. Um... I'm, it kind of dawns on me now that it may have been wise to do, like, a catch-you-up-to-speed episode. But, like, I, I can't imagine the person who's listening to this who doesn't kind of have an idea as to what a monster stat block looks like. Yeah, plus, like, when you describe a trait, it's traits are just, like, uh, modifiers or attacks or actions that the creatures get that aren't normally available to players or maybe other monsters. Yeah, they get special features. They got there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh so they have this this trait called charge which is uh if they dive at least 30 feet and then attack a player with a melee attack or anything with a creature with a melee attack, it does a little bit extra damage. So the fact that it has to be a melee attack incentivizes the Aarakocrin to attack at a melee range. And so this is kind of a boon to early players because it forces these guys to get into melee range, which allows the players a chance to punish the Aarakocrin that is attacking them, at the very least with opportunity attacks. Yeah, also I can't imagine that uh, Aarakocrins can heavily rely on their javelin attack as once they throw it, it's gone. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so. There you go. This is the the like most interesting thing about Eric Cochran's to me. Yes. And it's like a it's the the thing that keeps these guys relevant throughout the early levels. So if you get a group of 5 of them within 30 feet of each other and then fill their action and movement for 3 turns with this, you know, again going back to the kind of gross whatever ritual dance thing. Uh they they do a ritual dance which again feeds back into the kind of gross uh stereotype uh noble savage kind of thing. If you want to make it less gross, have the ritual dance just be thriller. <laughs> I don't know if that's more or less gross. Uh, I'm going to say it's less gross for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There you go. Uh, so Because I really like the idea of yeah. five birds in a circle doing thriller. Yeah. So give them 18 seconds of thriller. <laughs> and they. what happens is out pops, they summon an air elemental. And the error elemental, it lasts and follows their commands for an hour or until all the summoners die or until one of the summoners dismisses it. So this can be, uh, this kind of lends itself to an interesting sort of scenario in terms of encounter design, where depending on the goals of the encounter, either you have players that are attacking the Aarakocrans that are in a fight with the Aarakocrans and the players are rushing to disable the summoning process. So like you have Aarakocrans on the top of a mountainside and you have your players at the bottom of the mountain and they're trying their best to, you know, they're this three turn rush to murder all of the thriller birds. <laughs> or, and this is, albeit more likely because the Aarakocrans being good aligned are more likely to be, you know, on your side. You have this encounter where the players are defending the Aarakocrans against an invading kind of horde, for example, maybe a gargoyle horde, until they can summon the air elemental to turn the tide of the fight. Which, uh, this ability and that, like, setting of a battle kind of idea, yes. that is very video gamey, and, uh, I personally think that that's awesome. That yeah. is a thing that needs to be, uh, addressed when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons in, like, in combat, is that sometimes... 
a little bit of a video gamey time limit is a really cool thing. Yeah. So yeah. So this is this is a conversation that we've had uh, repeatedly, and it stems from kind of a, a an administrative problem that we had where we started this podcast talking about Dark Souls, which is a yeah. very not traditionally video gamey video game, and so you know. It, there are sections of Dark Souls that feel kind of tonally dissonant because it's so video gamey. That is not necessarily a problem in D and D because D and D can be any tone you want. So like, you know, if you if you're having that sort of so so for two reasons, right? Right. So D and D can be tonally however you want. So it doesn't matter if you have something expressly video gamey in it. Secondly. As a game designer, you're playing a very traditional RPG, you know, perhaps the most traditional RPG, and it is your responsibility, in my opinion, to make the fighting part of your RPG, which is a very important part of your RPG, as interesting as possible. And to that end, you know, why not have every trick at your disposal? Like, video games are, in a way, like, you've been training your whole life, gamer, for having a decent encounter, because... Video games are very good at making their fighting interesting for long periods of time. Yeah. And, like, there are sometimes you might be designing an encounter or something, and you'll see an ability like this where you're like, oh, that's weird. I tell them that it takes very specifically three rounds to summon this air elemental. Doesn't that kind of feel like a Legend of Zelda thing? Yeah, it yeah. kind of does, and that's good. Legend yeah. of Zelda's successful for a reason. Yeah, there's yeah, there's not really a problem with that. And, you know, we'll get into how to make... We, we'll probably do an episode or some in the future about boss encounters, like specifically about how to, you know, how, how boss fights work within video games and tabletop games, because that's typically yeah. when you get the coolest monsters. Sometimes, even in this show, when we talk about certain monsters, I'll probably end up going into some kind of diatribe about turning it yeah. into a boss encounter. So. Yeah, and it doesn't feel as weird as you might think, especially within D&D. And, like, in D&D, I feel there is a greater degree of uh, suspension of disbelief when you're at the table. And, you know, you're kind of... Because at that point, you know, I want to say, and I'll throw this number out into the air, 95% of D&D groups are just, you know, the, the fuckboy adventures. Yeah, so I think like, that's. I feel like that's pretty accurate. Realistically, your players <laughs> have already spent half an hour eating cheese pizza with goblins, so like, <laughs> who fucking cares at that point? If you're trying your damnedest to create a more straight-faced RPG, if you're that small minority who's trying to create that sort of thing, I think there is a way to even then portray this sort of encounter in such a way especially with this which you know it feels kind of video gamey but i think that's all in the you know the story is in the telling in this yeah. instance where like that's true. i think you can provide you know a bunch of summoning birds i, I think yeah i think it, it comes down to whether or not you a you tell your players that this will take three turns yes that is it it's how it's <laughs> uh, how hard you pull the curtain right it's how hard you pull the wizard of oz curtain yeah, because you can group. describe anything in Dungeons and Dragons as vaguely and darkly as you want. Yes, <laughs> but sometimes it is it beneficial to you to pull the curtain back a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's just how much is the answer. Yes, and that you know a whole slew of factors go into that depending on how your character, how your players like playing D and D, how experienced they are, um, you as a DM, how much information you like to convey to your players really you know 
it, it comes down to personal preference for yeah. the most part. Also, so still talking about air elementals. Still talking about air Cochrane air elementals. Yeah, so the 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 ability this dance or whatever, yeah. once it is done, it summons from the elemental plane of air yes. an air elemental, yes. believe it or not. Yeah. Um which as we've discussed, the challenge rating of air Cochrans is very low. Yes. And they are uh early game enemies. If they are enemies. Mm. Uh an air elemental not as much. <laughs> no, and air, air elementals elemental, are strong. <laughs> yes, they are CR5, which is significantly higher than one-fourth. Uh, so this is a way, again, to keep your air Cochrans relevant in terms of as enemies and then also as allies. I think, truth be told, um, I think this is a pretty good ready-made encounter. So when you read the Monster Manual, it does a lot of these, like, you know, there are a lot of little tidbits in the lore and mechanically that suggest the sort of encounter that the designers want you to use. And I think this is one of those times where the monster manual is just giving you a ready-made encounter with these guys. I I, I think that's, you know, I, I I prefer seeing that more than anything yeah. else. Like I'm, is even if the, the trait or the mechanical thing is kind of finicky or weird or atonal or whatever, I would prefer that the assistance in brainstorming, I think, you know, it is, a uh, a service that the monster manual provides to the dm is giving you their opinion of how to use this monster uh and then also you know part of what makes a good monster is designing toward a theme and this is the eric cochran this is the eric cochran theme mechanically is getting these boys together in order to summon the air elemental so if so here's another like sub thing about this summoning that is kind of interesting when the summoning goes off and the air, air elemental survives when it returns to the elemental plane of air, any Aarakocra within five feet of it can return with it. So, it's... It, 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 I don't really know what to think of this tactically, like, mechanically, other than it's the world's most dramatic escape. Yeah, especially because as far as we can kind of conceive, they don't have a way back that is quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is like a plane shift. They go, They go home now. This is... I, the, so, like, I see this as the resolution to a major, like, plot arc. So you have your Eric Cochran friends, you fight the big boss, they summon in the air elemental, holy shit. And then at the end of the fight, they, you know, return to their home planet like E.T. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, in a way, it's another good element of design where the character, or the monster manual is suggesting this, uh, this means of ending your narrative side as well not only giving you a an out mechanically with your fight but also giving you an end point for your story yeah and i thinking about it as an out for the fight it is actually a fantastic uh escape if your let's call it very early game big bad guy is an eric cochran yeah absolutely like yeah if you happen to have the one evil eric cochran or if your characters are evil characters this yeah. is a good way to yeah get your get your bad guy out of harm's way because traditional D and D knowledge you know the traditional axiom for the game is that as soon as there are dice being rolled with your villain that villain will probably die. Yeah, so it's always good to have an escape, and this is a hell of an escape. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
So yeah, so that is Eric Cochran's for the most part. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts on them? Uh, closing thoughts. I think that they are probably one of the better designed and fleshed out low CR monsters. Yes. Uh, and I think the reason for that is because they are, they have more of a specific lore. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I agree. There's more mechanical tie from what the Eric Cochran is from a lore standpoint to what the Eric Cochran does as a monster stat block. Which is all I really mean. It's yes. I, I, my final thoughts is that I give it a three out of five. <laughs> oh my God. Can we please <laughs> like, I give it a dragon scale out of a full dragon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, for the love of God. No, no, we won't do that. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think that this is a reasonable designed uh, monster. And I think that's the only problem I have with it is that I do think it loses its usefulness uh, very early. Yeah, this is definitely uh, an early on. This is your torch being passed to later on air elemental creatures like full on air, air uh, full on elementals and yeah. that whole thing. This is your way to introduce. However, Dudes. the fuck the plane of air is, I like truth be told, I so like planes of existence, if they're not like really interesting to me, I'm not typically like so like elemental planes for the most part, I'm not interested in as a person. Yeah. So that's going to do it for our Cochran. So that's going to do it for our first episode. Holy shit. We did it. We did one full episode. Yeah. One full, mostly coherent episode. Yeah. We're the greatest. I'm, I'm going to definitely, <laughs> I'm going to get some tonight from myself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you so much for enjoying it. I hope I, I yeah. really pray. You know, I hope night. you found something here you liked and could use or not, and you liked listening anyway. Now that we don't have, like, a guided thing to talk about, now we just show off how weird we actually are. Oh, God. So here, I can't. Yeah, so get ready. <laughs> drink drink deeply, friends. Thank you so much for you. Thank you so much for my co-host, Travis Mattingly. Hey, it's me. Uh, thank you so much for nerdsmith.org, who is gracious enough to give our our happy little hole a nice little... It's the plane. It's our elemental plane. <laughs> the elemental plane of Nerdsmith. Yeah. Um, I recommend going to check out some other shows. Uh, Monster Crush is a nice little companion piece to our show, especially if you like uh, the lore of creatures that are not typically within our media but like so like salamanders things that are within more mythology rather than video games i also would recommend everything else on the network because we're yeah, all there's really a lot good. of really cool creative people yeah until next time what did we learn today what what creature we learned not to base what's our creature ra- comfort <laughs> travis what's our creature comfort for this episode creature comfort oh yeah. no give me give me like a give me like a, a jump off point what uh, that's a phrase, isn't it? Your creature comforts? Like, what is your, your natural, like, things you like? Is that a thing? Let me look it up. Hold on. That is the name of an animal hospital. <laughs> it's like a, no, 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 no. It's a, yeah, it's oh. like a, a basic comfort enjoyed by non-human creatures. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what's our, what's our Eric Cocker and creature comfort? We've been, so like, real talk. Ladies, yeah. gentlemen, or what have you. We've been doing this show for, like, five months, and only now have I thought of a decent, like... Yeah, what's our Eric Cochran creature comfort, Travis Mattingly? Always remember to put a nice pillow on the top of your tree, what you can see gargoyles from more comfortably. Also, our creature comforts rhyme now. Make sure to care for yourself and nestle into the nest you made. 
where you can watch over those eagle, evil gargoyles. And drink lemonade. <laughs> Have it a has good to day! Rhyme. Yay! Yay! They rhyme! <laughs> We're the greatest. Oh, boy.